Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Have you always felt a little odd, a little different? The world is crying out for witches to heal and to rebuild. But do you hear its call and will you answer? This is a space for free thinking, where I give you tools to explore and build your craft. We all have a divine spark. Join me each week and grow that spark into a fiery beacon. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft, and I'll be bringing you a one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spirituality. This is The Major's Well. Hey, Majors. This week, I thought we'd look into a very famous witch. I'm very excited about this episode because it is very nuanced and I love a bit of nuance and it takes into context societal attitudes at the time and loads of good juicy stuff. But who is the famous witch? It's Isabel Gaudi. If you've not heard of her, pull up a chair because this is a deep dive into her juicy story and what witchcraft she was practicing and how she was practicing. But before we do, let's have a sneak peek at the week ahead. So we obviously have Imolk today, ending tomorrow night. If you haven't already, check out my Imolk episode, which gives pointers on how to celebrate. February 1st, it also marks the beginning of Black History Month in Northern America. Support Black businesses, learn more about Black history, read books by Black authors, Donate to charities that support anti-racism and equality. There's loads of ways that you can get involved. Sunday the 5th is Chinese Lantern Festival. It's traditional for streets to be decorated with colourful lanterns, often with riddles written on them, and it's held to honour deceased relatives. It's also a full moon on the 5th as well. The 6th marks Sami National Day. The Sami people are indigenous Finno-Ugric-speaking people that live in northern parts of Finland, Norway, Sweden, and the Kola Peninsula. 
On this holiday, the national anthem is sung, the Sami flag is raised, and special reindeer races are held where reindeer pull people on skis. Sounds like a fun time to me. The 6th is also hashtag reclaim social day. I'm sure we are all more than aware that social media has become very negative, and on this day, users are encouraged to share positive and inspiring content that makes a difference. Laugh and Get Rich Day is on February the 8th. This is a weird one because no one is too sure where it comes from, but go on, have a little giggle and you might get richer depending on your definition. Fun fact, babies after 17 days from birth can laugh. They do this way before they can speak, showing how ingrained laughter is within us. Also, did you know forcing a smile can improve our mood? Handy little life hack. And that's your week. Now, let's look at an infamous witch. Isabel Gowdy was a famous witch born in the 1600s in the Scottish Highlands. Very little is known about her personal life, and much has been speculated about her. But who is she, and why is she so relevant? Well, she enters records in 1662 with her sensational court case that exposed her as a witch and where she confessed to the most extraordinary practices, supposedly without torture, forever marking her as Scotland's most famous witch and giving the world the idea of a coven and that it must contain 13 members. Four confessions, made over a six-week period, rocked the late medieval world, so much so that modern historians have described her confessions as, quotes from Emma Wilby, the author of The Visions of Isabel Gowdy, one of the most remarkable documents in the history of witchcraft. Isabel's case sheds light and comprehensive insights into European witchcraft and folklore, containing 27 charms, the majority of which are unique in British folklore. Some of her practices also border on the shamanic side. For 200 years, she disappeared into obscurity until 1833, when a man called Robert Pitcairn wrote Ancient Criminal Trials in Scotland. Her confessions re-emerged and were seen as infernally sensational, but yet the original court documents went missing. Fast forward to the present day when an uncatalogued box of papers appeared in the National Archives of Scotland, it belonged to Isabel's landlord and where the full confessions lay. Today's episode is difficult to listen to in places in regards to how women and those labelled as a witch were treated within the legal system. But the suffering Isabel endured, it wasn't in vain. We have some powerful insights into how this talented woman practiced witchcraft, ironic considering the very system that sought to condemn and quell people like Isabel, the documents from which are now being poured over and have the ability to empower a new generation of witches, the numbers of which haven't been seen in the world before. It is very much the season of the witch, and possessing powers over life and death, Isabel Gowdy is a blinding beacon. Living in Alden, a sleepy highland village, 
We know Isabel was married to a John Gilbert, who was likely to be a labourer or a cotter, which is someone who's either a farm labourer or a tenant occupying a cottage in return for labour. From the court documents, we know she helped him sell beef at the local market. There's also no mention of children. Now, if she did have children, her days would have been spent raising them. She also would have been producing butter and cheese for the house and for the market, growing vegetables and preparing food, as well as producing cloth, again for personal use, but for market as well. Now, the entire process from growing the flax to producing the linen was time-consuming, On top of this, she would have been responsible for gathering water, making baskets from rushes, preparing herbal remedies, herding cattle, collecting sticks, washing clothes, and collecting peat, to name a few. These chores would have been backbreaking at times, and they would have left her with very little downtime. Despite her lack of free time within her confessions, she interestingly lists 34 locations that she visited in some capacity, whether that be physically or journeying, and somehow she developed a practice that contained shamanic elements and techniques. How and where did she learn this? Her husband would have had to have worked very long hours to carve a living from the land, The couple, they may not have been at the bottom of the social ladder, but their lives were likely to have been very, very hard. And the houses at the time were typically small, dark, shared with animals and filled with smoke on account of an open fire with a small hole in the thatch roof. And they would have contained very little furniture and possessions. This is a rough idea of her daily life. We also have no idea how old Isabel would have been. Now, the minimum age she could have been is 15, though this is highly unlikely. The average age of getting married in the area was 26 slash 27. And within her court documents, she throws a date back by 10 years, meaning she would have been five when the incident happened. So 15, very, very unlikely. We are also unsure how religious she was or her opinions on religion. We do know the area at the time was deeply Protestant, but it also held belief in saints as well as the Fae, which we're going to see in her confessions. There was also a belief in the spirits of the dead, which deeply, deeply, deeply troubled the church at the time, who fought to impress that the dead couldn't appear before the living. Folk magic was also prevalent, We see a lot of magic specialists at the time called seers, charmers, sorcerers, that kind of idea. It was a vast spiritual landscape that formed a vivid backdrop for common folk to orientate themselves to amidst Christianity, which sought to have sole influence and sway over these people. It's in the 16th and 17th centuries that Scotland undergoes massive witchcraft trials and witchcraft hunts, four times higher than their European counterparts throughout this time and higher than England. In the years 1661 to 1662, we see the last wave of witch hunts and arguably the worst. Fueled by the collapse of the Commonwealth, it meant Scottish judges didn't have to sit alongside their more lenient English counterparts. Scotland was eager to assert its dominance over its subjects against a backdrop of extreme Protestantism. 
It was this final wave that would come to catch our witch, Isabel Gaudi, on the back foot. Finally, we don't know how she was caught. Had a neighbour alerted the authorities about her conducting strange magic? Had a witch from another area named Isabel as an accomplice? Did the authorities catch her in her coven mid-practice? It's uncertain how she reached the stage of interrogation, but on April 13th, 1662, Isabel would step onto the pages of the history books. Before we dive into the documents, let's take into mind some caveats and nuances. Now, I mentioned that she avoided torture, and she did, largely by definitions in the 1600s, but she would have most certainly faced sleep deprivation, total isolation and possibly regular beatings combined with unsanitary jail conditions including a lack of food and warmth it would have worn anyone down now sleep deprivation alone can impair decision making increase suggestibility help with the creation of false memories and can even cause hallucinations combined with the fact that prosecution was favored her interrogators were eager to convict and likely to have asked leading questions such as when did you make a pact with the devil and when did you fly to the witch's sabbath we also know what they were looking for based on key texts at the time the malleus maleficarum and demonology these were like witch hunting textbooks and training manuals and really isabel was condemned before she confessed does that mean we should throw her confessions in the bin Absolutely not. Okay, yes, there are run-of-the-mill responses, such as flying to the Sabbath with the devil, that so many other confessions contained, suggesting there was an interference from prosecution. However, there are so many unique and vivid details, one of which is transforming herself into a jackdaw. These details clearly stand out, and they can't be dismissed. Another little thing that I want to talk about before we dive into the documents is the coven situ. So, Isabel speaks about how there are numerous covens in operation in the area that gather at grand meetings that take place at the end of each quarter. And another thing to highlight, which I mentioned earlier, is that Isabel is more than likely responsible to give rise to the term coven itself. Prior to this, a gaggle of witches was called a league, a band, or an army. I quite like that one. Coven is an old Scottish word meaning to gather or come together. She also goes on to say that covens are made up of female and male witches, and each coven has an officer for the men and a maiden for the women. We learn that the maiden has to be present for anything important, and Isabel also informs us that each coven has 13 members, setting a precedent which carries on to this day. Now, each member has a spirit to, quote, wait upon us when they require its assistance. The spirits have names, but the spirits also give the coven members they're assigned to nicknames. A coven member called Margaret Wilson had a spirit called Sween who named her Pickle Nearest the Wind, and this spirit wore grass green clothes. Rory was another member's spirit who renamed his witch Throw the Cornyard. There's a spirit called the Roaring Lion who's dressed in sea green. Isabel's own spirit was called the Red Reaver and was dressed in all black. 
Isabel also speaks of many devils waiting on the master devil, who is bigger and more awful than his servants, and they all bow down to him. She also mentions that if witches come to your house to harm you, they will appear, quote, strange, like misshapen, disheveled, with their clothes sticking out. This is an odd detail, and in 1617, we also have on record a witch in the Channel Islands saying that she attended a Sabbath where she struggled to recognise the witches in attendance as they were all blackened and disfigured. It's an odd correlation because of the distance of time between the two women, and it eerily stands out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So as I've mentioned, Isabel has four confessions, but rather present them one by one. I've selected themes from them and picked out what she said because she repeats herself over the four sessions and it's very higgledy-piggledy and messy. I've read through them all and I've gathered all the fairy lore and then done the same for her malefic magic and then the benefic magic as well. So each section, or theme rather, will be a combination of all the confessions, just as a little side note if you're interested. So let's have a look at the confessions and I'm going to start with the evil stuff because hey, let's get this party started. The confessions, they really hit the ground running and we learned that upon meeting the devil at night in a church 15 years ago, making it 1647, she denies her baptism and she does this by placing her hands to the crown of her head and the other to the sole of her foot. She renounced all that lay in between her hands over to the devil, who is sat in the reader's desk holding a black book. Now he marks her shoulder, so it draws blood, and he sucks the wound and he spits this into his hand and sprinkles this over her shoulder, baptising her as Janet. The next time she meets with him, they have sex, whereby she described his skin as black, hairy, and very, very cold, as cold as spring water, particularly his penis. Now, Isabel also reports that other women in her coven had sex with him too, and that they also took great pleasure from it, more so than with their husbands, salacious, and she also says it doesn't compare to any man. Sometimes he would lift his tail and force them to kiss his bottom. I mean, each to their own. Who are we to judge? 
I imagine her prosecutors were most put out by this information, especially if some of the Coven members' husbands were in the room as part of the interrogation process, which may have been a possibility. Remember the time. This would have been incredibly shocking to hear about details of the devil's penis, especially coming from a woman. It would have been quite clutch your pearls kind of moment. Now, we learn that Coven members called the devil Black John, and when Isabel saw him, he sometimes had boots or shoes on, but she did notice in one case that his feet were forked and were cloven. He'd also sometimes appear to the coven as a deer or a row. Now, the devil also sometimes gets annoyed at how some coven members are late, or they're not doing something correctly, so he'd sometimes beat them. Now, some... <laughs> So some members, they simply took it, while others actually fight back. And sometimes the devil pays them with money, but after a day, it turns to horse dung. There's a joke about Bitcoin in there somewhere, but I'm just going to leave that alone. We also know there's a feast whereby the devil is at the head of the table, and he commands the coven to say grace over the food, but it's all said in the devil's name. Now, Isabel recounts that the coven digs up an unchristened child, and they mix this with the coven's finger and toenails, as well as grain and kale. All of this gets chopped up small and placed into a dung heap on the target's land, and this was used as a curse so the land wouldn't bear crops. There's also another land curse whereby a frog-drawn plough would encourage thistles to grow on the land, Random, but also kind of cute. Now, with her coven, Isabel also describes making a small replica made of clay and rye, and it comes to represent all of the wealthy landowner's male children. The figurine has all the parts and markings of a child. Now, while it's being created, they recite a chant over it that the devil has taught them, and after this, they go down onto their knees with their hair over their eyes and their hands lifted up. Now, this is an odd detail, and it's one that pops up and repeats throughout her confessions in relation to honouring the devil. Now, the doll faces the fire until it's dried, and they use it to make the landowner's sons suffer, even those who had already died, by placing it in the fire. And the only way to break this spell was to find the doll and physically break it up. And supposedly, two male heirs died from this ritual. And on the historic record, two children did indeed die of this landowner. Now, with some members of her coven, they break into a die house, and Isabel achieves this by transforming into a jackdaw. Other members become hares and cats. It's a whole party. And in the devil's name, they take a thread, tying three knots into it, and they throw these into the vats, stirring anti-clockwise, taking all the strength out of the die and turning it black. Now, most of these rituals and these spells within the confessions, they take place at night, and to escape her marital bed without waking her husband or him finding out about her nocturnal activities, she places a broom on her side of the bed with a charm set over it to trick her husband, and so he doesn't wake up suspicious, and the rest of the coven reportedly do this as well. I'd imagine if he wakes up, he'd think it was her, 
So with that covered, she goes on to report regularly breaking into neighbours' houses by transforming into crows and travelling down the chimney. And then they'd let other members in by opening the window from the inside, whereby they'd eat the neighbours' food and they'd drink from barrels which they refill with their urine. This is where we're going to start dipping into fairy folklore, because Isabel, on these night raids, would recite a curious chant, horse and hattic in the devil's name, before flying off on a horse made from straw and corn. Now, this is a little-known chant from the Fae, and it pops up in folklore that they would use it before kidnapping someone, or taking an item and moving it elsewhere, usually quite far away. Isabel also tells the investigators that she'd shoot arrows at people who hadn't blessed themselves at the sight of straw flying, and the arrows would instantly kill them. Isabel also dined with the Fairy Queen under Downy Hill, which is a fairy mound that sits on the site of an Iron Age fort. The Queen was dressed in white linens, and the King was described as well-favoured and broad-faced. She also comes across odd creatures that she named waterballs, and she reported that they frightened her quite, quite a lot. Now, in the confessions, this description about the Fey world, it ends abruptly, and this is really interesting because it's likely labelled as irrelevant by her prosecutors. It isn't seen as condemning as her other admissions, and frustratingly, we could have learned more about fairy law. Now, a hundred years earlier, the Scottish Act Against Witchcraft came into being. Information about the Fae was highly sought after, as this was enough for witches to be burnt. But by Isabel's time, communing with the Fae, it wasn't a big deal for prosecutors, it wasn't an interest for them. It's more stuff about the devil, pledging allegiance to him, the Sabbaths, it's that kind of vibe. They're looking for more juicier, satanic kind of vibes with it. But further into her confessions, we do learn more about those arrowheads I mentioned, where she's flying around killing people. It turns out that they're shaped by the devil, and they're sharpened by the elves or the fae, and the devil would then give these arrowheads to coven members, who would fire them while reciting, I shoot that man in the devil's name, he shall not hold win haim. I think this is speaking about the target not getting home unharmed. 16th century Scottish slang hasn't been the most fun to try and interpret. The chant then goes on to say, and this shall be also true, not a bit of him shall be alive. Now it appears that these arrows are fired when riding the straw horses, and the coven actually fires them by flicking their thumbs. Isabel recounts using an arrow handed to her by the devil, and he commands her to shoot a woman in the fields who falls down dead. Her coven kills numerous people, while Isabel herself confesses to killing four. She also confesses to being involved within an elaborate curse that was used on the local church minister, whereby they break into his home and stand over him while he is in his sickbed. Let's take a look at the more benefic, or rather, the more ambiguous aspects of her confessions. So throughout, I've been speaking about how she and her coven transform into various animals. How do they do that? Well, there's a spell for that. Isabel mentions a charm to say as she transforms into a hare. You may remember from my Witches of the Isle of Man episode, 
Hares were heavily linked to witches, and the charm goes, I shall go into a hare, with sorrow and sigh and great care, and I shall go in the devil's name and stay until I come home again. There's also one to say to change into a cat, as well as a crow, that goes, I shall turn into a crow with sorrow and sigh and a black throw, and I'll go in the devil's name and I'll stay until I come home again. And to leave this crow form, she'd chant, Crow, crow, God send thee black throw. I was a crow just now, but I'll be a woman shape right now. Crow, crow, God send thee a black throw. It's interesting to note that when they transform into crows, they are larger than normal crows. And when visiting other witches whilst in this transformed state, the person could utter, I conjure thee, go with me, and the person that they were coming into contact with would change into whatever animal the visitor was. She also describes how she was chased by neighbours' dogs while she was in her hair form and hid in a few houses, but was unsuccessful. She had to say the chant to return to her human form. She also tells us that any harm inflicted on them while transformed stays with them when they return to human form, which you might remember from my Witches of the Isle of Man episode. A lot of witches were discovered when harmed as a hare, and the witch would bear the same injuries. Isabel also gives a charm on how to raise the wind. Now, to begin, the coven would take a rag of cloth, and wetting it in water, they would then take a laundry stick and knock the rag on a stone while reciting, I knock this rag upon this stone to raise the wind in the devil's name. It shall not lie until I please again. Now, to lay the wind down, the rag would be dried, and then a chant would be said, We lay the wind in the devil's name. It shall not rise till we like to raise it again. If the wind failed to settle, they would call on their spirits. You remember when I said earlier that each member had an assigned spirit, they'd call on this spirit and they'd chant, Thief, thief, conjure the wind and cause it to lie. Isabel did admit that they had no power over the rain. There's also a child sickness transferral spell, whereby a looped belt was passed through the cradle three times, and then a dog or a cat was put through it. The belt was shaken over a fire, then thrown onto the floor till the dog or the cat passed over it, whereby they would absorb the sickness. We also have a few healing chants that invoke the power of saints. There's a lot to take on board with these confessions, and they are absolutely groundbreaking in the taken as a whole, the Confessions are the longest witch investigation documents we have from this period, and it's recorded in the first person, and it reads like a monologue. They are rich in folklore around charming and fairy beliefs, and we also have the demonological content that contains demonic packs, sabbats, and orgies. Another element that stands out about Isabel's confessions is the graphic details which have led to academics labelling her as mentally unstable, possibly brought on by ergotism, a mould that grows on rye and millet's LSD, or that she was adept in shamanism. Join me next week for part two of Isabel Gowdy, where I'll be diving deeper into the court documents and analysing them further.
Peace out, witchers, and I'll see you at the crossroads. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 